Hello, and welcome to the Grove Church Podcast. I'm Charlie Lofton, the lead pastor there, and we are so glad that you're joining us. Whether you are a member and you're just catching up on a sermon that you missed, or you're someone who's brand new, we are really glad that you are joining us. And if you are new in some way, and I know that a lot of people will do that, will listen to sermons first before they visit, I want you to know that we would love to meet you at any point. You can join us live in our services on Sunday, 9 and 1030, or our streaming service at 1030. Either way, we would love to be able to get to know you. And regardless of why you are here uh, listening to this sermon today, thank you so much for joining us. All right. Well, hey, good morning. I want to welcome you as well. My name is Mark, executive pastor here. And I, and I was just thinking uh, this morning, uh, in particular just a minute ago, just a, it's, a, it's a privilege to be in this place this morning together, huh? I mean, these, these things that we've been talking about, if you've been here the last few weeks and uh, you know, you know, just uh, thinking more deeply about as we, as we build up to, to celebrate Easter, uh, just how powerful it is and how powerful it is to talk about these things and think about their implications in this, in this place together. Um, it's, just, it's just special. I, think, I don't think we, we, we take it for granted a lot of times, and it, it is. It's really cool. And uh, I'm, I'm thankful that I get to do it with you guys. And so we're going to talk about it a little bit more deeply this morning. And uh, in particular, if you've been tracking with us, we've been, we've been walking through Hebrews and, uh, and looking at there's this reoccurring theme of, of hope that we see in Hebrews, that we have a, a better hope in, uh, in what Jesus has done and his, his life, his death, his resurrection, and, and what that means for us. It's this, it's this better hope. And most of what we've been talking about, and it, and it feels like uh, a lot of Hebrews, you know, it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty up here. You know, there's a lot of just a really core, important truths and, uh, and I would assume that everybody is like this to a certain degree. Maybe I'm like this to, uh, to a fault. But, you know, a truth is a truth, and that's great. Or, some, you know, something that I know, that's great. But, but if I can apply it, if, if I see the application, if I, if I can see the difference that it makes, you know. If, if you try to tell me how to get to your house right now, and you download all that knowledge, I'm going to be like, oh, that's great. And, you know, I, but I don't have a clue. I won't have a clue tomorrow. But if I, if I knew I was going there this afternoon and you gave that to me, or if, better, even, better yet, if I were to follow you there, then it would, it would mean something to me. And, uh, and it, I would take it to heart and I, I would remember it. And it's crazy how those, those things will stick and they will affect the things that I do. Uh, one of my biggest examples of this is, is language learning. I, I grew up in a community that where there were a lot of Spanish speakers. And, you know, it would have been somewhat beneficial to, to know Spanish. You know, I could have, I still today, like I wish I had, I had studied harder and tried harder because maybe I could order some more authentic Mexican food. Uh, I'd have more skills. You know, when we take vacations, uh, when Terry and I go down there for, for little trips to, to Mexico, maybe I could communicate better. But, but practically, uh, we expected in the community that I grew up in, as the majority, that the minority Spanish speakers would just, you know, that they would figure out how to speak English and they would communicate with us. So there was no real uh, need for me to know the language, uh, but I had like six semesters plus of it in school because you had to have a you had to have a language anyway, and uh, and I can say hola, you know, in a very hick accent. That's that's the best that's the best I got. 
And, uh, and it, just never, it just never stuck because I didn't have any application point. Now fast forward, my family and I moved to India and uh, we found ourselves very much the minority in like a village area where to eat, you needed to be able to speak Hindi. And the organization that I was with, no, like maybe knowing me or just knowing how people are, they purposely did that, kind of cut us off from English speakers so that we were forced to do that. If I was gonna, if I was gonna eat, if I was gonna feed my family, if we were gonna get things and you know, outfit our little small apartment, we, we were gonna have to figure out how to communicate. The, the person that was helping us, we were even a, in a home, a second floor of a, of, a, of a home where the family that was below us, they spoke English, but even they were committed to to getting us to speak Hindi. So they were like, no, we're only going to speak Hindi. So I was just stuck. And, uh, and guess what happened? Like, I picked it up. You could pick it up too if, I, if we threw you out. I mean, it, just, it, just, it just starts to happen. And, um, and I, I actually made a trip to India just here a, a few weeks back. If you don't know, I've been connected there for 25 years. We've, uh, we've got a work there that's been going on for a long time, a uh, business with a, with, a, with a bigger kingdom purpose. And um, so I made this trip a few weeks ago, and it had been three years since I had been on the ground. And I really was, was stressing about this language deal because, I mean, it's been three years. And, you know, every once in a while I'll play around and try to talk it, or maybe I'll catch a little bit of a Bollywood film. If you've never watched Bollywood, you totally should. Uh, you got to learn how to dance a little bit. Uh, and, but I was, really, I was really stressing about my ability to, for it to, to recall it all. And sure enough, I step off the plane. Uh, first person I start to interact with, they're like, namaste, and I'm like, Nam which is hello. And I'm like, namaste, and I'm like, okay, hey, which is how are you? And I'm like, Bania, I'm, I'm excellent. And they're like, hey, you, you speak Hindi? And I'm like, uh-huh. And I just, it starts rolling. It just starts rolling off my tongue, which is my best example of what tongues looks like. Because it is definitely, definitely miraculous. And the only way possible is that there was, there was a reason to eat. I had to learn it. And I think a lot of times we roll through these different truths. I mean, big truths that we've been talking about here. And we just, we leave it here and we don't have a clear application. And what I love about chapter 10 of Hebrews uh, he's already done it a little bit. He's alluded to it, but the author of Hebrews in chapter 10 says, here's the truth. Here's the things that we've been talking about. Now, here's what you do with them. He says, since this and this, now let us do this and let us do this and let us do this. And so today what we're going to do is just break down a few verses from, from Hebrews chapter 10. And we're going to look at what these big things actually mean to us. Um, also, a few weeks back, my family, we went to a uh, space, air and space museum, and they had all of these, you know, different things from all the Apollos and specifically from Apollo 11. And I've never known my teenager to be this adamant, but the minute we walked in, he started spouting off all the facts about how the whole thing was a hoax and how we had never actually been on the moon. <laughs> And I was really surprised at how, I mean, he was like, and he knew a lot of the stuff that I'd never heard. Like we would look at, we'd see a picture and he's like, see, there's this wrong and this wrong and this wrong and this wrong and this wrong. The whole thing was just fake and this and this and this. And then we kind of got into this back and forth on it. I had a kind of fun fighting him about it the whole time. And I was amazed. I was just pretty much amazed at how much he knew. And then I thought about it later. 
Well, to you, what, what does it matter? Does it matter today? Whether we put feet on the moon or didn't? I mean, to you, I'm talking about today. Like, as you leave the church and go out, I mean, there's some truths and some things like, okay, that's important. But the things we're talking about right now, is this just something that, that happened a long time ago? This Jesus, this thing, and it doesn't really matter? Or does it matter this moment and the amount of peace in your heart and the faith that's there and the relationships around this room? Does it impact this moment? And I think Hebrews chapter 10 says that it does. So let's look at this. I'll start in, in uh, verse 19 and go to verse 25. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body. And since we have a, a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Did you catch it there at the beginning? He, he, he pretty much sums up what he's been talking about these last, these last nine chapters and up to this part of chapter 10. These big things that uh, as believers we have. Not, not hope for, not wish for in the future, but, but that we, we currently possess. We have confidence that by Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, that we now have access. See, did you, did you hear it? The, the, the curtain has been torn. Access is available to us. The creator, living, one true God, and we have access because Jesus spilled at his own blood, gave his own life, and defeated sin and death on our behalf. By faith in him, we have, we have access to God. And then this representation that we have, this, this priest is not a priest that has to offer sacrifices for himself. In fact, he doesn't, he, and he's the one that offered his own life on our behalf, full of grace and mercy. That's our, that's our high priest. We have a better high priest, and we have access. Access. Have you ever had a place that, uh, or something that was really, really special, but it was just outside of your reach, or you, you couldn't get to it? Maybe somebody else had access and made you jealous. I was just talking to a friend this morning that uh, they just uh, made an international trip, and uh, for the first time, she got to sit in first class. Never done first class on an international trip. I uh, asked her before the service this morning if she was enjoying the cocoon of comfort that is first class. It's this whole thing, you know. It's like, man, I told you, I'm just jealous. Never had access to first class. Has there ever been something like that? 
I remember uh, when Terry and I started dating, we were in high school and uh, we're in this small town called De Queen. You may be familiar with the Southwest Arkansas. And there weren't, weren't a lot of restaurants in town. I mean, there was McDonald's, there was the Sonic. But if you were gonna sit down and have a meal, the only real place was connected to the, to the one main hotel in town, the palace, right? Because you got the queen, so you got the palace. The palace. And, uh, and so her parents ran, ran the restaurant, and that restaurant was, I mean, I, it may not have been as good as I remember it being, but man, I remember growing up, it felt like, man, we're going to the palace. It was, it was big time, right? Big time. There's, there's some folks right? Big time. And so they had all-you-could-eat breakfast, buffet. They had all-you-could-eat lunch buffet. They had all-you-could-eat dinner buffet. And believe me, if I go, I don't know, I go to take care of a buffet, we're going to take care of it, right? It's going to be multiple trips. We're going to put them out of business. And on Friday nights, they had all-you-could-eat seafood buffet. And they had crab legs on the seafood buffet, y'all. I mean, I know they weren't fresh. How could they be, right? But people would have a bowl beside their chair just full of all the leftover carnage from, from, uh, from the seafood. And I couldn't wait for seafood night. And growing up, that was a big thing, and it was a big privilege. And then Terry and I started dating. Remember, her parents on the restaurant. She's a waitress at the restaurant. Then I start working for her granddad, who's a builder in town. And he's going up there all the time because he eats for free. And I don't remember at what point that they told me it was free to me, that I could partake of the buffet morning, noon, and night, Friday night included, at my leisure. I could eat all I want. I don't remember when it happened. All I can tell you is I gained about 30 pounds because... Because now I had access. And when you had access to the buffet, I was going to take full advantage of it. And one thing that Hebrews is telling us is that, man, because of what Jesus has done, we have access to this God. And it's amazing how often me, us, we get busy, we get distracted, we prioritize other things, and we sit in our seat while the buffet is available. (laughs) And we don't go and enter in and take advantage of the access that we have. Then it also says we have representation, this great high priest, a better high priest. And uh, you know, I thought about what it would feel like to, to walk into a courtroom and to have no doubt. You know, maybe I'm a part of this, this thing, somebody's suing me or something's happening, but I got no doubt. Because the one who's representing me is, is more than able, more than faithful, uh, so much better than the opposition that there's not even a contest. I don't know if y'all saw in the news this last couple of weeks, but uh, Gwyneth Paltrow, uh, Pepper Potts, uh, this happens ever so often. I don't know why it's like the headlines, but uh, she had a ski accident back in 2016 in Utah, and the guy she hit was a retired eye doctor, and he decides he's going to sue her for $300,000, and... And it's just so funny because the pictures are like, I mean, what a joke. She's got her full counsel. They're they're the best, you know, the best and the brightest going against this guy. I mean, he has no hope of winning. He's just trying to make a name for himself. I saw she won, of course. And uh, see, she walks over to him and just kind of leans over and says, wish you well. I mean, she, with full confidence, she enters into that thing with no no problems. That's, That's the one that represents us. With full confidence, we enter the throne room of God. Not based on our goodness, based on his. Not based on our sacrifice or the blood of a lamb. We're, it's this Jesus that, that, that uh, spilt his own blood. 
So it says, since we have access, since we have this incredible high priest, let us. And here come the action points. If, if this is going to be true, then, then these are the things. And it's interesting because it's stated similarly early in, in, in the Hebrews in chapter 4, right at the end. I'll just read this for you. Uh, chapter 4, uh, verse 14. It says, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to the confession For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So we can have confidence. He understands us. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in times of need. So this let us has already happened once back in chapter 4. And the first let us is, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, with a true heart, and with full assurance, full confidence that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Having, Having confidence, take advantage of it. It's there. You know, for generations the world over people humanity has longed to have an audience with the one true god to be able to enter into his presence and and to be clean enough to see him face to face and to have a conversation to know god and most of the world doesn't know how or what that looks like. Most of the world doesn't know about the sacrifice that was made and the curtain that was torn and the way that we can enter in now because of his righteousness and know the one true God. And I think we just take it, me, I think, I think we take it for granted that we, that we do have it. Uh, the first real kind of business deal I did in this whole India venture I was, we were taking some of our own money from our savings and, and buying some products. And I was honestly, as the deal ended and I was running to the train to get back home, I was really scared half to death. I mean, I was, I was trembling, I had trembling hands. And I looked across at my business partners, a, a father, son, family owned business. And I said, hey, before I head to the train station, can I, can I just, can I pray over this? Because I'm really, really nervous. And, I, and I'd already talked to him about my faith in Jesus and how my faith in Jesus made it possible for me to have a relationship in, with God, the one true God. Um, but, you know, just, just bits and pieces. And they were like, hey, you, you can pray. So I said, okay. And so I just laid my heart out on the table. I'm, I'm afraid, God. Um, this, you know, I'm praying that you would bless this thing and, and it's scary and, uh, and just with just talking to my daddy, just talking from my heart. When I finished, these two guys were looking back at me with wide eyes and jaws dropped. And they said, you can just talk to God. And I said, yeah, and I kind of walked back through this. Because of what Jesus has done and because of my faith in him, he's made me clean. And I can, he invites me, he wants me to to come to him and to talk to him and to bring things like this, to petition him. 
And so then the son takes me to the car and we're running to the train station. And guess what the son, uh, his name's Ronuk, guess what he does all the way to the train station? Well, he gives me all of his prayer requests. He has found a man who can talk to God. And so if you can talk to God, well, pray for this for my family, pray for this, pray for this. We also got this. We got this. I mean, the whole way to the train station, he had his prayer request. About a year later, two years later, he gets married. I show up at the same train station. His brother picks me up, who had been at college the time before. And guess what the first thing his brother does when I get in the car? He says, oh, I've heard of you. You're the guy that can talk to God. Here's my prayer request. <laughs> And I realized, man, there's this value when that's unknown. But when it's, no, we just seem to take it for granted like it's no big deal. Y'all, we have access to the throne of God. And he wants to know us and he, want, he wants us to know him intimately. So what does the author of Hebrews say? If you got access, since we have access, draw near. Let us, let us draw near. And then the second thing he says is, let us, let us hold on because we have this better hope. He says, let us hold on unswervingly. Uh, another uh, version says, hold fast, hold tight, get a death grip on this incredible gospel and the hope that we have in Jesus. When everything's crazy and all the chaos surrounds us, we have peace, we have life, not just knowledge of it, but we have a, a way of life with is the gospel. I got nothing to bring to the table. He's got everything. He loves me. He's full of grace and mercy. He's faithful. I've put faith in him, and now because of him, I have significance, I have life, I have purpose. I hold on to that with everything that I've got. And I use the term uh, death grip because one, it f feels like that's what this, I mean, unswervingly hold on. And death grip may not, may not mean a ton to you, like you, maybe you've heard that phrase before, but for me it has some, some personal significance from my journey. And I, I debated a lot about, about talking about this, but I just feel like, man, I, I, I want to make sure we get an idea what, what death grip means, what a holding fast looks like. Um, most of you know you know, a lot of years back on a good Friday, a good friend of mine drowned and uh, was involved in a drowning accident and uh, I was in the water and, and was there trying to save him. And there was a, a moment that night that I just realized that at least one of us was going to die. And if it was going to be just, if it wasn't going to be both of us, that I was going to have to swim. And I started to try to make my way to the surface of this lake. And I couldn't because my friend's last motion of life was to reach out and grab my shirt with a death grip. And in order to survive, I had to, I had to break that grip. And that picture of my, his only hope was the chance that maybe I could have enough power to swim him to the surface. That was his only hope. That's the picture, y'all. We reach out and grab a hold of Jesus with a death grip, and he, it says it here, he's faithful and powerful enough to, to take us to the surface. But we, we don't just kind of hold on to that. 
We hold on to that with everything that we have, all of our strength. Hold on to, hold fast to it, hold unswervingly to it. Doesn't matter what is happening around us, we hold on. Chapter six of Hebrews, it, it talked about this holding on and this steadfast grip. It said that this gospel of this hope is an anchor for our souls. An anchor, that's the picture. It's the anchor that holds in the chaos, the, the angry sea, the, this, 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 uh, this hope, it's our, it's our anchor. In fact, fellas, uh, there's an anchor hanging in the boys' bathroom. If you, hadn't, if you hadn't seen it, every Sunday you can use right there. You know, make, you can look at it. I don't know if it's in the girls' bathroom or not. But, uh, but this reminder that this hope, it's, it's an anchor and we hold fast to it. So, these two things, let us draw near to God. Let us hold on to this better hope. And those are the two things that were repeated back in chapter 4. But then in chapter 10, there's a third. And those first two, they may not blindside you that much. All right, yeah, I kind of expect that. These are the things that we should do. But the third one may. And the third one is one that I, I don't even know when we talk about kind of preparing our hearts for, for Easter and what these truths mean for us. We make it, we make it really personal. And this third one kind of rocks that a bit. The third one is let us consider one another. Since we have access, since we have this incredible high priest, let us consider the other person. And you know, as I've thought about community at the Grove and just in the body of Christ and, and really even in my own life and my own family, and I think about what, what is the obstacle, what is, what is the thing? You know, let us consider the other is really at the heart of it. Because by nature, we make this thing so personal that we, uh, we consider me. And it's a huge thing for us to step out and to consider the other. To show up here on a Sunday and not just be thinking, what do I take? But what do I give? Not just be thinking about, is, is this good for me, but is, is this a place that I can invite my friend who's in desperate need? We, we're real quick to consider me and my good and my comfort. But this says that the knee-jerk reaction of the one who would understand these truths is that they would consider one another. And then look what it says. says they would consider one another how we may spur one another on. Spur, uh, another word for there is, is irritate, you know? Uh, that's, not, that's not a word of, of comfort. It's not that it's easy. It's actually that it's, that it's pretty difficult to, to encourage, to love, to challenge one another, to be in these relationships where we can we consider the gospel implications for the other and we try to draw one another into these truths. It's, 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 not, it's not necessarily comfortable. It's kind of uncomfortable. In fact, it even goes on to say, man, let, let us not be like, like those that would neglect the gathering of ourselves together as, as some do. Which evidently that would that would mean that there's 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 this natural tendency to kinda to kinda give up on that and, and and to start to neglect the gathering of ourselves together. 
He's like, no, because these things are true, all the more. No, you have to consider one another and you have to join together and meet together and know one another and spur one another on towards love and good works. I'm considering the next person. Man, we talk about a, a gospel truth application. Maybe that's one that, that, that maybe we've missed. A lot of the internal conversations I have with myself in my home, with my friends, it feels like a lot of times we consider ourselves and don't consider one another. And, uh, you know, being on a plane here recently, I'm always, when they do the safety demonstration, you know, and they're talking about the air mask, I know you've heard the illustration about, man, you know, we really do have to put our mask on first before we help the person next to us. And every time I've thought about that, I, 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 you know, I'd be quick to help my kids before I put my mask on. But, oh, yeah, you put my mask on, you know, I got to be able to have some oxygen if I'm going to help somebody else. But, you know, the truth is, uh, never gone that next layer that the man for, for a lot of us, a lot of times in my life, oh, yeah, I'll put that mask on. <laughs> and I'll breathe deep of that oxygen. How, how, how much of that oxygen can I get? While maybe around me there's a lot of people who are in desperate need of, of oxygen, but I'm just, I'm just here just, just taking it in, just taking it in just for me and not considering the people around me. And I'm really thankful that uh, a few years back, about uh, 2000, uh, Terry and I moved to, to Conway, Arkansas. And at that point, we were, we were really struggling uh, with infertility. We we'd wanted to have a baby and it just wasn't happening. And um, I, was, uh, I, just, I was making a job change and, and career-wise, we weren't in agreement about where we were headed and what I was going to do and what she was going to do. And that had caused a lot of conflict. Our marriage was kind of on the rocks. Um, and in every way, we were a little bit uh, disillusioned with church and, and church people. And just all together, we were, we were pretty burnt and broken when we showed up to Conway. And there was a church and we started to attend there that we kind of knew somebody in and we, we sat in the back and we were just gonna, man, you know, just do the thing that you were supposed to do. And then there was this couple, uh, Luke and Kim Porter. And they kind of knew about us, not, not really. We had some, some mutual friends from the past. Uh, actually, they didn't live too far away from the house that we, that we were living in. And uh, I'm gonna tell you what, Luke and Kim Porter, they had two kids. Uh, both of them had businesses that they were responsible for. They had a lot of life going on. But Luke and Kim Porter decided that they were going to consider Mark and Terry Powell Freeman. And they were relentless. I mean, really, we, didn't, we had never been a part because the church structures we had been a part of in the past didn't have like small groups and homes. And they wanted us to come over to their house and have a Bible study and talk about Jesus with these other people. And we didn't want anything to do with it. We didn't want your people, we didn't want you, but they were relentless. They tricked us actually, if I remember right. It was like some kind of Super Bowl party or something and they, they kind of tricked us into meeting all the people. But they were relentless. I remember the men's retreat. I did not want to go on the men's retreat. I didn't want anything to do with the men's retreat. I was doing the church thing that you were supposed to do, but nothing past that. And Luke basically picked me up and put me in a suitcase and took me to that men's retreat. They, they made the effort to care about us 
And that made all the difference. I don't know where we'd be right now if it hadn't been for Luke and Kim Porter. And there's some Luke and Kim Porters around your circle right now. And I'm begging you, based on the truth of the gospel in your life, consider, consider one another. Let me pray for us. Father, I am. Thanks again for joining us on our sermon podcast. And you can learn more about us at thegrovechurch.org. And if you go to thegrovechurch.org slash connect, there's a form you could fill out. Just let us know that you've been listening. And if you want to dig deeper on some of these topics that we cover in our sermon podcast or just in other issues of dealing with culture or theology, those kinds of things, uh, you can check out our Cultivate podcast. It's on the same feed, um, however you found this particular podcast. So again, this is Charlie, the lead pastor at The Grove, and thank you so much for joining us.